Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. All right, so before we start the second teaching on the prophetic, we're going to do the prophetic declaration. Now, this one is different from the one we did last Wednesday, the two Wednesdays ago. Because every prophetic declaration that we do that's going with the series of the prophetic, it will be pertaining to the teachings. So I'm going to have everyone stand up. And I'm going to have you repeat after me. As I live in Christ, my love grows more perfect. I can face him with confidence. On the day of judgment, because I live like Jesus here in this world, I look out not only for my own interest, but also for the interest of others. I am kind and tender hearted to others. I forgive them as my Father has forgiven me. I ask my Father to set a guard over my mouth. He keeps watch over the door of my lips. I let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. As a member of one body, I am called to peace and I am thankful. My father has not given me a spirit of fear. He gives me power, love, and self-discipline. My ways please my father and he makes even my enemies to be at peace with me. I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. My Father works in me both to will and to do his good pleasure. I do all things without grumbling or complaining so that I will prove myself to be blameless and innocent. I am a child of God who is above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom I appear as lights in the world. Let's say it again. Among whom I appear as lights in the world. Let's say it again. Among whom I appear as lights in the world. Amen.
Amen. Amen. All right. We will be continuing the second lesson here on the prophetic, the ministry of the prophetic. I pray you have something to write with because actually as I go along, I will be citing some scriptures for you that you might want to write down that I will not have up on the slides. And the only reason why I did that is because we probably would be here forever <laughs> if I had all of the scriptures in which I wanted to use, in which I wanted you to see also on the slides. All right. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. So this is the second teaching on the prophetic. This teaching today is about the prophetic culture, the prophetic culture. Now, the reason why we're doing this is because as we grow as a church, we're going to have to operate in the prophetic. And one of my main purposes as a prophet is to actually get you to hear God better, number one to interpret your dreams, to interpret your visions for you, to equip you in order for you to be able to do that. And at the same time, it equipped you to the point where you're able to operate in the prophetic, but not in the way in which pretty much the church has put it out there. So today is the teaching on the prophetic culture. Now, it's so funny because I had this teaching all done and all polished up and everything. I'm like, I'm ready to go. And so God changed all of that. I'm like, okay. I had all my points together and everything, had my, had my bullet points. And I'm like, this is good. This is good. It's going to be good. And the Lord's like, that's not the prophetic culture. And I was like, oh, not today, Lord. <laughs> not today. But he reorganized it, and I see why he did it. So let's continue. The first one we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. And the translation for this is the NLT version. And it says, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the spiritual abilities the spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, this is one of those scriptures that it seems like we skip over the first part and we go immediately to the second. Just like the scripture where it says about, just like what the scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We go immediately to the all these things will be added unto you. <laughs> it would skip first. We skip that seek God. It would skip, skip the righteousness part too. We go automatically to what we want. So this is one of those as well. It says, let love be your highest goal. It starts with that. 
Then it says, but you should also desire the spiritual abilities the spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, in this chapter, Paul encourages the Corinthians to follow the way of love, to pursue love as a main goal, but also to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So he highlights the gift of prophecy. Now, follow me because I'm going somewhere. First Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels. Do you know how many languages there are? I looked it up. It's about 69,000 languages. 69,000 languages. <laughs> so he said, if that's just languages of the earth, we don't even know how many languages are as, as in regards to angels. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clangy cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, you know how many plans that is? All of God's secret plans, every one of them. That's a whole lot of plans. And possessed all knowledge, not only knowing all the plans of God and all the languages of the earth and all the languages of the angels, it says, and then turn around and have the gift of prophecy and have all knowledge. It says, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So the reason why God brought me to the prophetic culture this way the reason why is because prophecy can be one of the clearest validations of the Father's love, which Jesus paid such a high price for. So when people hear the thoughts and emotions of God as a father toward them, they believe in this love. So when you begin to prophesy to people, it is so important that you come from a standpoint of love because that is what you're expressing. You're expressing the father's love toward an individual. Next is that, I'm gonna make a statement. Before the prophetic is a spiritual gift probably should write this down. Before the prophetic is a spiritual gift, it is a heart culture. It is a condition of the heart. Before you move in the prophetic, it is a condition of the heart. It is a heart culture. 
he said that we must follow love, which, a, which is a culture of the heart more than we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts such as prophecy. So before you even prophesy out of your mouth, there has to be a change in your heart. And not just a regular old change in your heart where I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and, and I receive Christ. A love towards others, seeing others as the Father sees them. So, continuing that before we even prophesy out of our mouth, there has to be a change in our heart. And it starts with the reality of understanding this scripture first. John 3, 16 through 17. So before we prophesy out of our mouth, there has to be a change in our heart. And it starts with understanding this scripture first. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So God loved the whole world so much that he sent Jesus to reconnect to humanity and to his creation. So Jesus didn't come to convict the world of what, was, what they were doing wrong. He came to put the world back in its right state again. To its connection to the Father and their original plans that he had for them. So when you start to look around and see everyone as God's redemptive plan, then you too, just like the Father, will begin to fall in love with the world. So when Jesus loved the world through his physical form, he did not come with fragmented thinking. He wasn't going back and forth in his mind saying, well, I want to save them. I don't want to save them. Um, well, they've been doing bad. I should, you know, just get rid of them. He didn't come with fragmented thinking. He wasn't in hidden judgment to the world. He was literally in visible love with a world did not, that did not love him. So we will go to Romans 8, 29 through 30. And there's a reason why I have this verse in the Message Bible version, because it just breaks everything down. And it says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who loved him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. 
So after God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Colossians 1, 19 through 21. And it says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You know how the Bible says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. This was his mind. And because this is his mind, it has to be our mind. Romans 5 and 10. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Key things stick out through all of these. Loving people in spite of. Loving people even though they, they, they were an enemy of God. All of these things, reconciling people, having a plan to bring people back to himself. He wasn't counting people's sins against them, but he wanted to restore the relationship that he that Adam had lost in the beginning. So that's the same prophetic culture as far as our heart is concerned. That's where we stand. That is the foundation. Because if the foundation is not right, you will always operate. When, you, when we talk about the prophetic, there is more room to operate in error when the foundation is not right. So if you're not coming from a foundation of reconciliation, if you're not coming from the foundation of love, then... It's the wrong foundation, and you could possibly operate in error. The next thing is that you will never have authority. You might want to write this down. You will never have authority over what you do not love. You will never have authority over what you do not love. And I say that because God wouldn't have had the authority to inherit us if he did not love us. He does not hate anyone. And the first part of moving in the prophetic is to start 
embracing the culture of his loving heart and actually living that way. So this love is the landing strip to seeing his thoughts and his intentions towards humanity. So if you are, if you are against people and countries and industries, where is the highest revelation of the Father's heart supposed to land? Where is it supposed to land? If I speak against popular pop stars or movie stars or even the president, how can God send me to them with his voice where there is no honor? There is no compassion. There is no kindness. These are all the things present in a heart culture of love that is already prophetic. So even before we prophesy with the tools of prophecy, our hearts have to have a culture of love first. So you cannot be continually having a prophetic voice if you are in conflict with the world that God said he loves. He said he loves in spite of, and you're saying, you're looking at the person and already passing judgment that they're not worthy. So think about it. If the people in which you're opposed to, if they heard you speak against them, they would never want to hear from you. In a world where everything is just on Twitter and Instagram and all of that other stuff, it brings to light a question isn't it important that I guard my heart and my mind? In a social media platform where you can say anything you want to say. You can hurt people as much as you want to hurt people. It has given you a platform to do so, which means that on purpose, I got to guard my heart and my mind. So... If you are already against people, you have already set up a wall to the process of love just by having a negative opinion. Now God cannot use you to speak to that person because you already have a negative opinion about the person. I think I have a quote up there from Chris Valentin. Yes, I have a quote. It says, True, this comes from Chris Valentin. He also operates in the prophetic, one, probably one of my favorite people that I actually read um, a lot of his books. He says that true prophetic ministry looks for the gold in the midst of the dirt of people's lives. So that is what you're looking for. And that's why the last time when I did um, the first lesson on the prophetic, what is a prophet, I told you that 
when people prophesy, it's when people, they should not be speaking damnation over you. Because you're looking for gold in the midst of dirt. So let's go to Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. And we'll be talking about taking on the divine nature of Christ. And it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says that we get to participate with the divine nature of Christ. The essence of prophecy is the very nature of Christ being imparted into a human being. This is the one of the strongest statements in scriptures. It, it says we participate with the actual nature of Christ. We're in participation with that. Meaning that we take on the divine nature of Christ. He loves, we love. We have taken on his nature. It is not just a cliche in which we say. But because Christ is in us and he loved us first, we love. So a nature is the sum of personality we take on his emotions, we take on his character, we take on his spirit, and we take on the talents that make up Christ. So our nature is what defines each and every one of us. The scripture says that while we are in relationship to Christ, we participate with his nature. We cannot limit ourselves in our understanding of who God is. Participating with his nature means we are not limited to our weaknesses or our strengths or our personalities or our gifts or our talents or our emotions. We are in participation with his nature. We are to be taking on his DNA, his character, his spirit. It's not a thing of God know my heart. Exactly. That's why you need Christ to change all that. Because he know your heart. <laughs> he can't. I hear that so many times. But God know my heart, though. No, sister, he do. But let co-labor with him. Let him work some stuff out of you. <laughs> so when you are partnering with his nature, you will make decisions that does not always seem like it's your decision. Because you're taking on his nature. You're being led by the spirit. 
So you will go places and talk to people and do things that are not limited to your rational thinking or your life experiences. It will not make sense all the time. Because you have to understand that as people, we are programmed. The world has programmed us. Our experiences have programmed us. Our families have programmed us. And so, for instance, if, say I had a lot of deaths in my family, and it programmed me to think a certain way and to go into the career of nursing versus who God really said that I am. Now, I went, may have went into that field based off of the experiences that I have, but that by no way and no means, that's, that is not what I was supposed to do and to, supposed to be. But a lot of times because we have a passion for something or because, you know, um, the area or the field that we want to go into makes a lot of money, we think that that is the thing in which God wants us to do. Not necessarily. Because remember, you are being programmed. So it's one of those things where you got to go before the Father and ask him to unprogram you. Because the thing about it, you did not make yourself. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. Now the thing about it is that God is not going to waste anything. So even if you veered off to the left and you weren't supposed to go to the left, he's going to use all of it for his glory. But you still got to get on the right track with him because it's his will, not ours. A lot of times we think it's our will because we're our own person. We're like, I'm running my own life. I do without. No, you don't. You didn't make yourself. You didn't give yourself a purpose. You didn't predestine yourself. So that has to be sought out. The next thing that you might want to write down is that we have to have everyone's best interest at heart. Talking about the prophetic culture of the heart. We're laying the foundation for operating in the prophetic. We have to have everyone's best interest at heart. So part of the heart culture that we have to have is the truth that everyone is worthy. Not just the people you want to be worthy. Everyone is worthy. So we need to have a heart to love first because the father might just use you to win one of the enemies of Christianity to his cause. So you have to come in with a mindset that everyone is worthy to the atheist, worthy to those who's practicing occults, worthy to Donald Trump, worthy. Because you got to think about this. And God convicted me about this as well. You have to think about this. And I say Donald Trump because of this. God was dealing with me actually about that man because like, oh my gosh. He's just everywhere. Like, 
everywhere. His thoughts are everywhere. It's like, oh my goodness. But at the same time, God was showing me that not only is everyone worthy, including Donald Trump, but Donald Trump does not have the privilege of having a private life. We have the privilege of having a private life. So if your private life was on display, what would we see? I'm just saying. What would we see in your private life? If your private life was on display 24-7, what would we see? Which means that everyone is worthy. He just does not have the ability to have a private life because he's in the public eye. But because he's in the public eye does not mean that God is not using him. Because I could think about some times where I just got in the body, had just got saved. I still operated in the prophetic, but I still was struggling with some stuff. I was able to do, I look, I was able to hold on strong one day, and then the next week, I'm like, oh, I'm calling my sister, let's go to the club. And then I went, you know, I would go to church, then I'd do good for a good three, four, five weeks, and here I am again, calling my sister, girl, what you doing? Here I go again. Because like I say, everyone struggles with something. So we do. We have to. We have to grow up. But we have to come in this thing with the heart that everyone is worthy. From the smallest to the greatest of what you think the smallest and the greatest is. Because like, like the Bible says, your ways are not like his ways and your thoughts are not like his thoughts. So even the ones you think, they, mm, okay, Lord, you don't know. That's the ones he may say is, is, is really worthy. So just putting that out there. So we grow in authority to reach people of authority by seeing God's value of them and seeing them as worthy. So, we're going to go to Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Galatians 22, 5, 22 through 26. So, Galatians 5 describes the fruit of a life in the spirit. That's what we're getting ready to read. And I got this in a message version because I wanted this to be broken down all the way. And it is extremely accurate measure of how you are to govern your heart when you are carrying the nature of God. So if you need a list of rules on how to govern your prophetic gifting, this is the passage to read. Here we go. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, 
We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of a compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our head or a sentiment in our heart. But work out its implication in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us is better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. So if you want to know how to accurately measure and govern your heart, there it is. It says if you say you, if you have chosen to live in the spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our head. Then I'm spiritual. I'm spirit. I'm spiritual. You hear that? You hear that a lot. I'm a spiritual person. I'm spiritual. You hear that a lot. People say that a lot now. I'm spiritual. Okay, but that means we should see some fruit. If you're a spiritual person, that's what you said. It's not just the idea you have in your head. And not only an idea and have your, a sentiment in your heart, like cliches that we say, but you're actually not working out the implications, meaning you're not actually using it in your life. So, as we focus on a life of love through Christ, there has to be a basic culture in our heart that believes the best about his plans for humanity. The Bible said God is the one who sets up kings and he brings them down. He's the one that has the, the, the heart of the king is in his hands. Who would have thought, that's why I say this thing is beyond our thinking, our ability to just reason and process this with our own mind. Who would have thought that God would use Pharaoh, a man that people saw as evil, totally evil, enslaving people, but God used him. Why did God use him? Because it's all about his will and his purpose, not ours. The thing, and the thing about it, when I, when I read that story, it says how God 
pretty much turned Pharaoh's heart not to let the people go, which means that he would have let them go. Because in order for you to turn a person's heart and say, do not let the people go, that means you would have let them go. But he used them in a capacity you would not have even thought about. Because the thing was, he, he needed not only, he knew that he was going to rescue the people. But he needed to show them that he was God. And that there was no other. And in order for him to do that, he had to use Pharaoh. But that don't make sense to us. It made absolutely no sense at all. So the next things that we're going to go through is um, the actually kingdom core values of the prophetic culture. So we dealt with the heart of the prophetic culture. Now we're getting ready to deal with the sight or the lenses in which you see through. We dealt with the heart. Now we're getting ready to deal with your sight, your perception. Okay, so let me ask everyone a question. Does the price I pay for something determine the value of what I paid for it? Who said yes? Does the price I pay for something determine the value of what I paid for it? Who says yes? Raise your hand. Who says no? Ooh. <laughs> the actual answer is yes. And I'll tell you why. So we got one person who got it right. And I'll tell you why. We're going to 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. So you can see this. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. Now we're talking about the price in which I pay for something determines the value of what I paid for it. It says that we are like common clay jars, talking about us, that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not ours. Which means this. In order to redeem us, something had to die. So the price in which you pay for something determined its value. So the price that was paid, which was Jesus, determined our value, how he's seeing us. And because the price that he paid determined our value, it's not just our value, it's others' value too. He paid that price for me. He prayed, paid the price for an atheist. He paid the price for Donald Trump. He paid the price for the most evilest person you could think of now it's up to them to receive him but the price was already paid which means that the value of that person has already been established 
So when we devalue people, what are we really doing when the price has already been paid for? So for instance, if I buy a knockoff Michael Kors purse for $20, Versus going to the actual Michael Kors store, right, and paying about $500. The price is determined, the price determines the value of the purse. It's a $20 purse. Guess what? It's not going to hold up like the $500 one. Because guess what? They probably use real leather real pristine material to make the purse hold up. So in the same way, the price that was paid for us determines our value. And sometimes we have to work on our own self-worth. How we, because we, we have a warped perception even of ourselves sometimes, less known another person we talking about. Sometimes we have low self-esteem issues. Sometimes we, or we discourage ourselves. There ain't nobody on the outside, no family, no nothing. We discourage ourselves from stuff. Let's know another person. So we're going to go through 13 kingdom core values of the prophetic culture. And like I say, the reason why I'm doing this is because a foundation has to be laid. When you guys start, because it's not just going to be me prophesying. Part of what I do, I operate in the office, meaning that I have to equip you to prophesy. You're going to be prophesying. Everyone has the ability to op operate in the gift of prophecy, but you have to have the foundation right. So 13 core values of the prophetic culture. Now remember, we just dealt with the heart. We're now dealing with your sight, your perception, how you see things. Number one, the prophetic ministry involves looking for treasure. So God saw something good in us even when we were sinners. So this core value, number one, teaches us that while it does not take a prophetic gift to see sin, it don't. It don't take prophetic gift to see sin. In sinners or junk that they got in their lives, but it does require the eyes of the Father to see broken people in the midst of their brokenness. To call them by a new name, the way Jesus saw Simon, whose name means broken reed. And then he called him Simon Peter, which means rock. He saw something beyond the broken reed, and he renamed him. So true prophetic ministry involves looking for gold buried in the dirt of people's lives. So our goal as prophets and prophetess is to find treasure in the life of the sinner. Find treasure, not damnation. Don't point out their sins. 
We're not condemning people. We're finding treasure buried. Number two, prophecy is for the common good and the purpose of prophetic ministry is for edification, exhortation, and consolation or comfort. And we went over these the first time, but we just barely touched them. So we're going more in depth today. So this core value trains us to realize why we do want, why we do what we do as a prophet. So edification. The act of building, building up, not tearing down, building up. The act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, holiness. A building, an edifice, something that is erected. So when we edify one another, we are building each other up. Exhortation. Did I? Calling near summons, meaning that you're calling when you are exhorting something, you are calling something that you are seeing and you're calling it forward. For instance, I may say, um, God may drop in my spirit about a person, and I might say, I see you having a business. I see you with a business, a jewelry business, and I begin to exhort, meaning I'm calling forth that person's destiny. I see you doing this. I see God has put um, the spirit of evangelism on you. You're going to be operating in the office of an evangelist. I'm literally calling that forward because the thing about prophecy, you're not speaking to the person. In as far as this body is concerned, because a lot of people, that's where fear come in. Like, I'm not saying that to that person. They look mean. Lord, I, you, I know you told me to say that, but I can't say that because they look like they just not having a great day. You're speaking to their spirit, who they really are. And you don't know. They might have actually came to Walmart, had prayed that night, and said, Lord, I'm going to take my life. If you don't show up, I don't know what to do. And here you are struggling in Walmart. The Lord then dropped it on you. Tell this woman X, Y, and Z. And you like, she looked mean, Lord. Impartation. The introduction of a new idea. Meaning that you're introducing something that has not even came to their mind yet. You're, you're igniting, you're exalting something in them that they not, had not even thought of before. And you're placing it on their minds. Supplication, meaning a request or a petition. Entreaty, a plead, a request made in an urgent and emotional manner. It also means admonition, authoritative counsel or warning. 
And also, so basically, exhortation can also come as a warning, meaning that, but not in a warning as far as to tell you down, in a warning as far as to make you aware of. Meaning, I see, okay, for instance, you might have told me you're getting ready to go on vacation. But I see, I might see the Lord show me a stop sign in an airplane. So I might say, well, the Lord is showing me that you probably should not go on vacation because of X, Y, and Z. Because that has happened to me before. Somebody got their plane ticket and everything. They was excited. And the Lord dropped it on me to tell them that this, not the time, this is not the time to go. And it was like, okay, they had a decision to make. I'm the messenger. I gave you the message. I don't know how you, what you're going to do with it, but I gave you the message. But that person ended up not going. You know, they ended up getting their money back and stuff. Thank God for the trip and everything. But sometimes it's like that. It comes as a warning, but not to tell you now. It comes as consolation, comfort, solace, comfort at the time of distress and sadness, exhorting you during your, you know, difficulties, during your trials, during your testing, exhorting you, encouraging you that you can do it. You can make it. Persuasive, discourse, stirring ad address, instructive, powerful, horatory discourse, exhortation. It also is comfort. Any address, whether made for the purpose of persuading or of arousing and stimulating or of calming and consoling, consolation, and comfort. And you'll see this a lot in the prophetic when people are given a word to someone that might be, they may have lost a loved one. They have um, possibly maybe going through a divorce. And then, so sometimes you will speak a word of prophetic as far as comforting people. Helping people to see, okay, continue to hold on. Continue to walk in faith that God is still with you. Because sometimes people are on their last legs sometimes. So number three. Prophecy brings people into a revelation of the glory that the Father has assigned to them. So this core value trains us to show people the glory that is possible in a relationship with the Father. So write down 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. It says, but if all prophesy, and I don't have it up there because remember I told you, I won't have all the scriptures up there. A lot of them I will say for you to write down. So it says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So Paul tells us that prophecy reveals the secrets of unbelievers' hearts. 
So notice in the passage that the person who receives the prophetic word, it didn't say that they repeat it. It says, but which they will, but it said in here, it says, but rather they fall down and they worship God. So most people know what is wrong with them. Most people know because you know what you're doing. Most people know what's wrong with them. But they are unaware of the greatness that the Father has placed in their lives. That is what they're unaware of. They're not unaware of their sin. They know they're sleeping with the neighbor. <laughs> they know they have a problem with cuss words. They know this. But what they don't know is who they are. What they don't know is that God loves them. What they don't know is they have a destiny. They have a purpose. So this exposure brings conviction in the lives that they are living below the glorious standard that the Father has set for them. So when you prophesy to people, you're letting them know you're living below the standard that the Father has for you. You're living below it. You need to come up. Number four, the father wants to speak to us more than we want to listen. <laughs> the father wants to speak to us more than what we want to listen. After all, how can God, who calls himself the word, not want to talk to his people? So this core value creates an expectation in our heart that we may hear him at any moment. At any moment, he might speak to you. Any moment. The most inconvenience moment. You sick. You got the flu. You're like, Lord, I know you told me to say that, but not today because the sister's sick today. Sister, sick today. At any moment, he can speak to you. So we have to be ready. Number five, all things work in our favor when we have a relationship with the Father, no matter what the circumstances look like. So this core value trains us to look for and focus on the Father's redemptive purpose rather than focusing on the problem. Write down Romans 8 and 28 because it assures us of this. It says, we know, or do we really, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So the Father loved us before we loved him. And he never stops doing this. We never have to earn his love through works. 
So this core value trains us to focus on his love more than on our lack. And to trust that we have an unlimited source of love to give to every person. 1 John 4 and 19, write that down. It says that we love because he first loved us. So what we receive, the Bible says what? We freely give it away. Number six, fear is not part of the Father's love and therefore should not be a part of our supernatural ministry. Because he's going to tell you to go some places and to speak to some people that do not look friendly. They might worship Satan, and you hold the key to unlocking that. And they got holes all in here, and they're wearing all black and stuff. But you're afraid. How are you afraid and you light? It's like being afraid of an ant. Really? Really? You're going to run and there's an ant? You know how much bigger you are than an ant? <laughs> it just don't make sense. So this core value trains us to respond to rather than to react to any kind of intimidation of the enemy because 1 John 4 and 18 says there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So if you're fearful, we got a love issue. The remedy is love. We almost through it. Number seven. The Father has plans for our welfare and blessings. He has no plans for our calamity. And this core value trains us to see difficulties as opportunities for the Father to bless us and bring us more fully into his purpose in our lives. It also creates an expectation that the Father will bless us richly so we can be a blessing to others. It prevents us from coming under a poverty mindset. Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. So difficulties that you're having or others are having are opportunities for God to bless you. We have to change our perception. One of the main things that me and my husband know anytime 
that there is arguments or confusion or the children are acting up, it's like, okay, we already know what this is. We are really close to a blessing. We are really close to God using us for something. So this is an opportunity. To show God's glory in this situation. Number eight, we are a special holy and royal people. So this core value trains us to value others and ourselves as the precious possessions of the father for whom he sanctified his only son. So it fosters a culture of honor in which we treat others as royalty because we are royal. And the scripture that goes along with that is 1 Peter 2 and 9. That says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are not just holy. We are not just God's special people. We're not the only ones. We, oh, God, been through so many denominations that think we are the only ones. Really? We are not just, some, some of them give numbers. We, this, this is how many. You know the number, too? How many people going to get saved? Wow, you really operate in a prophetic. Let me explain. Let me keep going. <laughs> number nine. We are to overcome and overpower anything evil that is against us. This core value prevents us from thinking of ourselves as a victim of our circumstance and frees us to think from a perspective in which nothing is impossible. It enables us to look for creative and extravagant solutions to the problem. Romans 8 and 37 says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So the devil is the one who is evil. And he is behind all the bad stuff in the world. Christ is always good. We are called to destroy the works of the devil with supernatural ministry, not destroy people. We're called to destroy the works of the devil. We're not called to destroy people's lives. So this value also keeps the lines of battle clearly drawn so that we are not directing judgment on people, but instead we are bringing them the justice that Jesus purchased for them. 1 John 3 and 8 also backs up this. It says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So guess what? That's our purpose too. 
Because we already know what the devil does. John 10 and 10 tells us. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He said, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So your war is not with people. Number 10. We were born to rule through the power of the kingdom and the love of the Father. So this core value enables us to perceive the authorities of kingdoms of the world from an eternal perspective. Daniel 7 and 27. Write that down. Daniel 7 and 27. It says, then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints, of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all of the dominions will serve and obey him. So we are born to rule through the power of the kingdom and the love of the Father. So we have a whole kingdom backing us in which we rule under. It's not that we're just out here in open water and we don't have support. We got three left. Number 11, we are not only children of the Father, but also friends. We're not only children, but we are friends. And he tells us his secrets. Because that's what you do with friends, right? You tell them your most intimate secrets. So this core value reminds us that the Father wants us to live in intimacy with him Far above obedience. Friendship is a level above obedience. So he is calling us to move beyond slavery. Because when you're doing things out of obedience, it's like, okay, because he told me to do it. It's like almost a slave act, a slave mentality. So we need to go beyond that and actually start co-reigning or co-laboring with Christ. We are friends also. John 15 and 15 backs up this one. It says, no longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So if God is speaking to you and revealing secrets to you about another person, it's far above obedience. It's a friendship there. And he's entrusting you with that secret to that person in the prophetic. Number 12, two more left. Let's go to 
Signs and wonders follow all believers, not just a few special people. So it's this time out where it's a few special people called by God and signs and wonders are following them. Signs and wonders are supposed to follow all of God's children. So this core value trains every member of the body of Christ to think of himself or herself as a carrier of the power of God as being available for miraculous assignments. You have to see yourself on assignment. You have to see yourself carrying the glory of God. It says Mark 16 through 17. No, Mark 16, 17 through 18. It says, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And this is not a mandate for special, specific people. And the last one, number 13. We have inherited the divine nature. And we grow in the fruit of the spirit as we spend more time with the father. So this core value trains us to embrace the journey of maturity. Because you have to grow in this. Just because I teach on this class, several classes for the prophetic, doesn't mean that you're going to automatically get it all at once. So you're going to have to embrace the maturity of all of it. As you go and you start to do it, you're going to be able to hear God's voice more clearly as you begin to do things. You're going to be able to minister better as you do it. The fear is going to be leaving you as you do it. As you continue to do it, you'll gain more strength and more confidence as you go. So I don't want anyone to feel, you know, any kind of way if you get it wrong. That's okay. I know we're adults in here, and I know we have this perception of ourselves that, you know, I want to save face. I want to make sure that I cross all my T's and dot all my I's. But at the same time, we know that you're growing. Because there's a natural growth process for babies as they get older into becoming adults. And there's a spiritual growth process for babies as they grow. And not babies in the forms of new Christians sometimes, but sometimes you might become babies in a form of a new subject or a new topic. You might be total and a total adult in one thing that you have knowledge, for instance, you might be mature as far as um, being, knowing how to pray and being fervent about your prayers and getting up at the same time and praying. But on the other end of it, you might struggle with the orphan heart. So you're a baby in that area. But the scripture that goes along the lines of number 13, 
that we have inherited the divine nature and as we grow in the fruit of the spirit, we will spend more time with the Father. It's Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And 2 Peter 1 and 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become, become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So as we continue to do this, I will tell you, because remember, part of my job is to equip you, which means that we're literally, actually, we're going to do this. You're going to be in training. We're going to do it with music, and, we're not, and then we're not going to do it with music. Because, don't laugh, y'all. You can't be at Walmart and be like, hold on, let me put on some music. I got to start praying in the spirit. Let me give you a prophetic word. You're not going to be able to do that. You're just not. So you got to know how to operate in a prophetic when there's no music and when there's music. So we will literally have times where like we're in training where all of us, we stand up, we start speaking in tongues. You know, you, I'm, I'm like, okay, everybody pair up. And we actually, we start praying, we start praying, and then I'm like, okay, get silent, try to hear something from God to tell to the next person. And the thing about it is that it'll be things that the other person know that is true. For instance, if I had everybody stand up and I say everybody pair off, we start praying in tongues. And so there's something, for instance, not a lot of people know what Ola's sister, what her name is, one of her sister's names is. So I'll be like, okay, so as you pray, Chris, allow God to speak to you and tell you what, her, what the name of her sister is. You're going to be in training because you got to be able to hear. So as we go, you might say, okay, um, I'm, I'm hearing Sarah, and she might say yes or no. But the reason we're going to do these is to train your ear, to fine-tune your ear. It's just like being uh, an audio engineer. You never come out of school and like, you know what, I got it. You got to train. You have to train your ear to hear things. Okay, we need to do this. Okay, we need to do that. Uh, nope, I heard that, this, this, and that. But that only comes by training. So when we do these things, it's not to bring or make you feel like, feel, like, feel like you're low or feel like you can't do it. This is the training ground. It's like university. This is the training ground for you. So when you do go out there, you know and you hear. For sure, you hear. You know what that feels like. Because a lot of times, um, it took for, for me, it took a long time for me to even not only know what it sounds like, but to even know what it's a sure word. And now how I, I know how that feels because I've done it so much, 
And I went back to God and said, are you sure this, this, and that? And came back to him, okay, are you sure again? Are you come? And it's, I've, I've trained myself to know what that feeling and what that voice sounds like. Because for me, for instance, one of the things when, when God brings a word to me, it's literally, it feels like the literal words of what he's telling me, it feels like it's literally sitting in my stomach. That's the, that's, for me, that's what it is. So every single time a word comes to me and I feel it literally like sit in my stomach, I literally can feel almost like the word sitting there. I know that's a sure word from the Lord. It's not coming from intellect. It, I hear it here and then it sits inside of me. It literally, it feels like, you know, like I say, like a throne, like a king's chair, like the word literally sits down in me. But I, like I say, I've trained myself so much to go back and forth with God. Is this what you're saying? And even I've had little things what I did with my husband. God, if this is you, then tell my husband the same thing. I'll hear something. And I'm like, was that God or was that the flesh? I know that wasn't the devil. So either that was me telling myself that or that was God saying it. Okay, God, if that's you, tell him that. And, and it, it, it worked. He come right, you know what, I was thinking about X, Y, and Z. Well, that was God. So we'll literally have these training sessions. So I'm just letting you know I'm putting it out there so nobody will feel a particular way that, because this is what I'm required to do, to train you, to hear and to do, with music, with